0: You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary South. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission by seeing the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of Jesus Christ. Connect with us online at redemptioncalgarysouth.com. My name is Quentin, I'm the pastor here at Redemption Church, Calgary South. Uh, I want you to grab your Bibles and turn to Revelation uh, chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible on you here this morning, we would love to give you one. Just slide your hand up. Our ushers have a bunch in the back. Uh, if you want to be following along in the text with us, Revelation chapter 5, the very last book uh, of the Bible. And, uh, and if you don't have a Bible and you want one, you can take that home as yours as well. We want God's Word, God's revelation to man, the revelation of Christ, His Son, and salvation through Him into every hand of every person across this planet. Well, I want to welcome you guys to church on this Resurrection Sunday. It's so good uh, to be together, so good to be worshiping our King, uh, knowing that he is risen from the grave, and uh, and although we celebrate that every Sunday, uh, we celebrate that every Lord's Day, uh, we set aside one special day every year to to really focus on that and, and to see what that means for our life and for our worship as well. So we want to welcome you on this Sunday of all Sundays where we, we set apart time to focus uh, on the cross on Friday uh, and, on the, and on the open grave on Sunday morning. It's, uh, it's an eternity-altering phenomenon. It's, it's a truth that changes lives and eternities forever. This Jesus Christ, this very Son of God, the ultimate Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, He is not dead in the tomb, He is alive forevermore and he is our king and he is exalted and he is lifted and He is at the right hand of the father interceding for us and we have so much to be uh, worshipful this morning towards his name and his role in redemptive history and over all creation and over all eternity he is risen let's try that again he is risen he is risen indeed Friends, as this Easter season, uh, like Christmas, can get crowded out and, and fuzzy by bunnies and, and chocolate and eggs, the real reason the world has anything to celebrate is because of the fact that around 2,000 years ago, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the spotless lamb, as we were learning on Friday, was, was truly crucified And nailed to a Roman cross. And then he really died upon that cross. But then he really raised from the grave, according to the scriptures, according to as he said. He was really buried in a borrowed tomb. But the resurrection, without the resurrection, we wouldn't even have the faith today. We wouldn't even have hope. Everything hinges on the resurrection. That Jesus Christ was truly, physically raised from the grave on the third day, conquering sin and, and suffering and death and evil forevermore. That the stone was really rolled away. That angels and over 500 eyewitnesses seen him with their very own eyes, seeing the risen Savior, that our King is not dead that our King and our God, our Savior, is alive forevermore. And we, we praise His name for that here this morning. That is why we are gathered. Now with that all declared, as, as much as we believe and, and trust and live this glorious truth as Christians, the question must be asked, as we turn to God's Word this morning in Revelation chapter 5, the question must be asked, what if this never happened? What if... The resurrection of Christ never happened. And why is the resurrection of Christ such a big deal to the world? Why is the Christian faith so utterly dependent upon the actual physical bodily resurrection of its leader? Like what if like Muhammad or Buddha or Confucius or any other religious leader, our leader, Jesus Christ, didn't actually rise from the grave. He actually stayed in the ground. He stayed dead. Would that make a difference? Does it make a difference? And if so, why? And so the question we're asking here this morning, in light of the reality of our risen Savior, is is why is it so crucial to life and eternity? And we're going to be asking uh, this question from God's Word through the book of Revelation, the final book, chapter 5, where we're going to ask God the question... Who is worthy? We were just singing about this, that he is worthy. But we're asking the text, asking God, who is worthy? On on Friday night, on Good Friday evening, we asked the question, where is the lamb? But this morning we're going to ask, who is worthy? Who is worthy to open the scroll? So Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 to 14. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll Or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it has been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your scripture was breathed out by you, written through men, that your Holy Spirit wrote your very word to us that you want us to know and want us to live by. And Lord, we thank you that we have the Holy Spirit dwelling among us, that he tabernacles among us, and that he always works according to his word. And we ask this morning that on this Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday, that your spirit would take your word and you would implant it in our hearts so that we can believe. Lord, as we come to worship you on this Resurrection Sunday, we exalt the name of Jesus Christ in our hearts. We lift him high in our thoughts. And we are so grateful, so thankful, that he did rise from the grave. As we think about the blood poured out and his body broken for us on the cross on Friday, where would we be apart from his resurrection? Lord, we thank you for your perfect, redemptive plan since before the foundation of time that you sought to save sinners from their sin. And you did it through the victory of a lamb that was slain and risen from the grave. And we pray all of this in the name of King Jesus. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, we need a risen Savior, even more than we even know or even believe. The world needs a resurrected Christ much more than the world ever knows. The resurrection of the Lamb of God has consequences far beyond even what we can comprehend. But we too look to God's word and we apprehend it because he has revealed it to us through his written word. This love letter written from God to his people, to the world, so that they come, can come to know Jesus Christ. And as we dig into the mystery of this glorious reality in this book of Revelation, what we're going to see first here so tragically in the first four verses is that we are tragically hopeless without a worthy one. We are tragically hopeless without a worthy one. As the Apostle John was invited by Christ to to supernaturally peer into the the heaven realities uh, through the book of Revelation, as the Apostle John is recording what he is seeing as he's peering into the heaven realities, he says in verse And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. Friends, when no one is worthy to open the scroll, we are tragically hopeless. Without Jesus, friends, without the one who is worthy, there is no way, there is no truth, there is no life, there is no meaning, there is no significance, there is no purpose, there is no hope, there is no heaven. Without Jesus, without the one who is worthy, life would be absolute anarchy and suffering, a spiral of shame and an endless abyss of sinful destruction. One commentator states this, without Jesus, everything would be a hellish, howling wasteland. There would be no justice, no true righteousness, no vindication, and no mercy. The universe would be nothing but an awful, terrifying, trackless labyrinth in which we would all be lost. And he's so correct. And this is why John, the Apostle John, is breaking down This is why John is weeping loudly, because in that moment there was no one found worthy to open that scroll or to look in it. And friends, if the scroll cannot be opened, all is lost. All is a waste and meaningless. Now to understand why this is so concerning, we need to understand what this scroll is that John is so concerned about. As we read the book of Revelation, we have, to, we have to remember that what we're reading here is apocalyptic uh, writing. It's apocalyptic work of Scripture. This book gives us a divine glimpse into the heaven real, heavenly realities and the future. And as the Apostle John has, has been invited by God to come up and see the things that, that must soon take place, what we are reading here are his apocalyptic visions, his his visions of God, his visions of heaven, and it's all written in highly symbolic language. What you see in Revelation, as you see in the book of Daniel and in the book of Ezekiel, are heavenly things being spoken of in an earthly language. So it means that everything that is written is highly symbolic and highly poetic. And so as we interpret it within these genres in mind, when we see this scroll coming to light here, this this scroll that's in the right hand of God, God who is on the heavenly throne, what we're seeing here is is a scroll that represents God's will and testament. We see here that what's written on it is, is written within, it says here, and it's written on the outside as well. And then we see with that is that it's all sealed with seven seals. Now to understand this better, we know that in Roman times, contracts and wills and deeds, legal documents were were written on scrolls of animal skins, right? We had legal agreements uh, were written on the inside. The contract was written on the inside and then it would be rolled up tightly and a brief description would be written on the outside, And then they would be securely sealed with seven legal seals according to Roman law. And so in the case of of this scroll in the right hand of God that nobody can open, what we understand that is being symbolized here is that the the, the scroll symbolizes God's will, His testimony of what is to come. It's a scroll revealing God's further plans for the conclusion of mankind and all of history. It's his ultimate will that can only be opened by one. But what we see here in the first four verses is that there's no one on the scene yet. No one can open the scroll yet. Verse 2, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. The worthy person who would receive a scroll, would have to be the recipient of that scroll. He would have to be an inheritor of the agreement. But according to this angel, as far as he could determine, there was no one there to open it. Verse 3, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And therefore John knows the infinite importance that that scroll needs to be opened. He knows that the opening of that scroll is the completion of history and all mankind. And if there's nobody to open it, he howls in anguish. He weeps loudly. Verse 4 I began to weep loudly, he says. Because why? Because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Friends, the scroll is the answer of answers. The the scroll is the completion of what has been started. And if it is not opened, the will and the testimony of God is incomplete on earth and in heaven. And that should anguish our souls in light of the state of it remaining unopened and incomplete. Friends, if you haven't noticed, as beautiful as all creation is, right, as the heavens declare the glory of God, as beautiful as that all is, and, and, and even as it speaks about God, we know that just by living in this world, we live in a broken world. We know just by living here and, and, and by, by, by looking at the world around us, this universe is failing us. Ever since our first father and mother ate of the fruit and, in the garden, death, disease, suffering, and And sin and struggle has been the human condition. As Adam and Eve were the first to disobey God, there were cosmic consequences to pay. That through their sin and through our continued infatuation with sin and through our our continual giving ourselves over and against the will of God, our universe has become so stained to the outermost reaches and so saturated to the innermost recesses that all of creation, as Romans 8 teaches us, is waiting in eager longing. All creation is seeking to be set free from the bondage and corruption because of our sin. Romans 8.22, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. What are they groaning about? They're groaning in anticipation of an answer from heaven. As as the world and as all creation continues in a digressing pattern of death and and decay from the very beginning, it is anticipating a resolution that can only come through the scrolls being opened. When we think about our sin, just think about the pride and, and the lusts and the evil desires that tend to govern the hearts of humanity. Just think of the rejection of objective truth today. Just think about the acceptance of subjective lies. Think about the the breaking down of what's right and good and true for the embracing of what's clearly wrong and bad for us. Think of the breakdown of, of marriage and family and natural relations, the carnal confusions and the wasting passions. Think about the atrocities and the hate, the murderous tendencies. Think about the pain and the suffering and the sorrow and the cancer. Think about the disease. And even in this season, think about the viruses we face. Friends, the world is broken. The world is falling apart. It's not getting better. Nor will it get better apart from the opening of the scrolls. So as John sees this scroll in the right hand of the Father, as he sees that there is no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth to open the scroll, hopeless despair is all that is left, and rightly so. Right? Because apart from the scroll being opened and the will and the testimony of the Father being unleashed to finally deal with our sin and evil and the enemy and death, friends, there is no hope. There's no meaning. There's no purpose. There's no answer. In short, if the scroll is not opened, the Bible's promises do not come true and it's all a big lie and we might as well just go home. Let me ask you, do you feel like that at times? Do you feel that... Do you, do you ask sometimes, what's the point in all of this? Like you look around and you see the mess that the world is in and it just seems like nothing's getting better. You know, I... Uh, I see my life and there's nothing good about it. I see my friends and my family falling apart. I see those I love suffering in pain and suffering in anguish, suffering at the hands of disease and death all around me. I see myself desiring to be happy, desiring joy, but all I find is discontent and despair and anxiety and sorrow, and I ask, what is the point of all of this? And friend, I'll tell you, if, if this is all there is, if it's only about the here and now, you're right. There is no answer. There is no hope. There is no help or joy or delight. If the scroll is not opened, there is no point. If there is no one worthy to finally and fully finish what has been started, if those seven seals are never broken and opened to unleash the final will and testimony of God, there is no hope. Especially when we know that that we are promised hope. Romans 8.18, Paul writes, "...for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. What glory? What glory will come if the scroll is not opened? There will be no glory. There will be no hope. There will be no future. We might as well go home. We might as well just follow the ways of the world. We might as well just eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And that's it. But the problem with this is we know that this is not true. We know that this is not what we've been promised. We've been promised to be redeemed in the end. We've been promised that as John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And who knows that more than the Apostle John who is peering into heaven. He knows the promises. He knows the truth firsthand. He was the one whom Jesus loved. And as he's peering into heaven and he doesn't see Jesus, he naturally weeps. He weeps in despair. And he should. But it's only for a moment. Verse 5 reveals... And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it has been slain. This should take us right back to Good Friday evening, when we were asking from Genesis 22 and the story of Abraham and Isaac, where is the lamb? Where is the lamb? And what we see that in all of our despairing and all of our suffering and all of our pain and sorrow from this present world, we see the lamb of God is standing as though it has been slain. This lamb who once was spotless and clean is now covered in scars from the sacrifice. He is covered in the ashes of the fire for you and me. But notice, he is not a heap of ash. He is not a pile of broken bones. He is not dead. He is standing. The slain lamb is standing he once was dead, but in victory over death, our Savior, our Lamb, is standing. Friends, this is Jesus. This is the Christ. This is the final Passover Lamb. Standing in power. Clearly as one who died. Right? He could clearly see that He was a Lamb that was slain. He should be dead. But He is standing. Standing in power Jesus Christ is risen from the grave. And the elders say to him, weep no more, John. Weep no more, church. Behold, they say, behold the lamb. In your own mind right now, picture Jesus as the slain lamb standing, covered in blood, broken, The scars on his hands. The the scars from the nails in his ankles. The scars from the nails that were taken for you. The scars on his side from the scourging. The scars in his head from that, that crown of thorns that was piercing into his skull. Think about the destruction of his internal organs at the hands of evil. Think about his shoulders and his heart which bore the wrath of God, the punishment of God because of your sin. Picture him standing. He's not dead. He is alive forever. He's standing at the throne of the Father. It says that he's got seven horns. This symbolically is speaking of his eternal, perfect power. It says he's got seven eyes. This is symbolizing his perfect, all-knowing omniscience. We also see, it says that there are seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth, speaking about the perfection of the Holy Spirit within him. That he is the one who is risen to judge the living and the dead. It says that he's the Lion of Judah. This shows us that he is the fulfillment of the the promise of Jacob's, Jacob's blessing in Genesis 49. It says that he is the root of David, meaning he is the final, rightful, perfect king. He is the one that this whole book points to. He is the one in whom all the nations are truly blessed. And it all happened through his triumphant, humble sacrifice and victory over death as he was resurrected from the dead. And as we know later, ascended to the right hand of the Father and we see him standing in infinite power, the only worthy one. Verse 7 says, And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Brothers and sisters, what we see here is Jesus audaciously going to the right hand of the Father. He is the only one who is worthy to open the scroll. And what we see here by seeing that is that, that all sorrow ceases in the victory of the worthy one. All sorrow ceases in the victory. Of the worthy one. As John's weeping is overcome by the reality that Christ has truly conquered, his hope is restored, his tears are cleared up. He is the only one worthy, the resurrected Lamb that was slain, our Jesus, our faithful Savior, standing in all of his scars because of our sin, then walks towards his Father and he snatches his rightful inheritance to the scrolls to finally finish what he came to do. The Lion of Judah who fought for his people, the King of Kings to rule and reign, the Lamb full of humility and love and perfect righteousness. Just get your mind wrapped around that imagery there, that symbolism of the beauty and the glory of the risen Lamb, Lion King. What a joy it is to imagine what John is seeing, what power he is beholding. Brothers and sisters, this is the greatest reality you could ever wrap your head around. That Jesus Christ, God Himself, the Son of God, came down for us. Right? That we couldn't work our way up to God. Friends, God had to come down. He had to write Himself into our timeline because He knew that in our sin, we are unable to please Him on His own. We're not able to be good enough to please the Lord. He is far too holy. As the scriptures say, Romans three ten to twelve, none is righteous, no not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. Right? We're not worthy. Together we have become worthless. We can't open the scroll. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We cannot escape that reality on our own. We are sinners through and through. And the repercussions for our sin is eternal death against an infinite holy God. And the wages of that sin is death, as the children read. But... But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In who? In Christ Jesus our Lord. This Jesus who has come as the lion, this Jesus who has come as the king, this Jesus who has come as the lamb to destroy the enemy who has his hold on you, to take back his rightful rule and reign over your life, and to humbly suffer the shame and punishment that we all deserved as our final perfect lamb sacrifice so that he could free us from ourselves, so that he could free us from our world, so that he could free us from the darkness. All for your eternal good, but even more than that, for God's infinite glory. Jesus alone is the only one worthy to take the scroll. He is the only one worthy to break its seals. Right. I hope the picture in your mind is not this weak, kind of renaissance, effeminate, pitiful Jesus. This is powerful, rightful, ruler, king, the only victorious, perfect, highest, name above all names, Jesus Christ, who alone has the power to complete what has, what has begun and my question to you in all of that is do you know that do you know this all powerful only worthy one and is he your king is he your victorious lion is he your precious scarred substitute lamb who gave it all for you who expended it all for your salvation and for his father's glory Do you believe, 1 Corinthians 15, 3-6, that that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures? That He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, to Peter, and to the twelve. And then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Do you believe that John's tears were stopped in heaven as he witnessed the future glory that this worthy one can actually open the scroll? If you don't believe that, I call you to repentance. Turn away from the lies of this world. Turn away from your will. Turn away from your way. Proverbs 16.25 says, There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. Turn away from your sin. Turn to the love and the grace of God. Ask God to remove your unbelieving heart of stone. Ask Him to give you a heart of flesh so that you can believe, that you can confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9-11, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. This is the hope, friends. This is the book of promises that we have. This is the truth in a world full of lies. And we call on you to believe in it. Believe in the truth of Jesus Christ. Place all of your trust, all of your hope in Him, and you will not be put to shame. Because, friends, the Lord has provided. Where is the Lamb? The Lamb has risen from the dead. Who is worthy? He who has ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's the only one worthy to take the scroll. He's the only one that can fulfill the will and the testament of the Father. He is the only one who can make all things right, to make all things new. And this is what it's all about, friends. Nothing matters in light of this. This is everything. This is what you've been created for. This is what your heart has been designed to rejoice in. You have been created to worship the resurrected Lamb. This is what Easter, Resurrection Sunday, is all about. That Jesus has risen for our justification, that he has ascended to heaven for its further completion. And it should produce such humbling, God glorifying worship and adoration towards Jesus that it consumes every aspect of our being, that it transforms our entire purpose. That we are so transformed by beholding the glory of the Lamb that all we can do in response of this glorious reality is to sing the resounding melody of grace. The news that the Lamb was slain, but the Lamb is standing in heaven. That He is risen, and He is the only one worthy to open the scroll. And this is exactly what we see in verses 8 to 14. What we see here is worship resounding in adoration of the worthy one. Verse 8, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp. These these four living creatures are heavenly attendants who worship God continually. We've seen this in Isaiah 6. We also see it in Ezekiel as these prophetic visions of those who attend and worship And then we also see here 24 elders playing harps, most likely representing the 12 nations of Israel and the 12 apostles, representing all of God's covenant people. And more than anything, what we see here is is the direction of their worship, the direction of their focus. Right? It's not only on the Father who is on the throne, the focus is now widened to include the Son, the Lamb. The Son of God is to receive new worship. And we see them on their harps playing, and and with the harps playing, we also see prayers being offered up. And whose prayers are they? It says there's golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, friends. That is your prayers. That is my prayers. That is the prayers of all of the redeemed, all of God's people, being offered in worship to the Lamb that was slain. Don't ever think that your prayers are going nowhere. Don't ever think that your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. No, your prayers are always heard, they're always answered, and they are stored up as worshipful incense to the Lord to bring glory that is due his name in heaven. The question is, is will that bowl contain your prayers of worship? Let that motivate you next time that you're struggling to pray or you think you don't have enough time to pray. Your prayers are effectual for the worship of the Lamb's name. Fill up that bowl of worship. And then with those prayers, we see new worship beginning. New worship songs for the risen King, verse 9. They sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Friends, the worthy one is the one who promised to build his church, right? That that hell cannot overcome, right? He is the one with all authority who called each of us and commanded all of us as his children to make disciples of all nations. And we see that so gloriously on display here as well. As we are to go into all the world, to all of our friends, to all of our neighbors, all of our co-workers, all of the unreached, with the good news of the risen Savior, What we see here is that Jesus comes through. He ransoms people from every tribe and language and people and nation. Friends, heaven is not only for one race. It's not just for those who look like you or sound like you or who think like you. No, heaven is going to be full of every person from every tribe, from every nation and every tongue as they believe upon the gospel and trust in Jesus for salvation. Friends, the gospel of the risen Savior, is not bound by borders or ethnicity or language. No, the good news that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life saves millions of people. And as we look into heaven, as we peer into heaven, what we see is that he has ransomed people from everywhere. And how does he do that? He does that through us going. Right? He builds his church by, by his blood, by his ransom, but he sends us to share that good news with everyone, that we are the kingdom of priests. That the whole purpose of of us to take dominion of the earth is to take dominion of the earth with the gospel so that the world will ascribe all worth and glory and honor to him alone. Friends, the beauty of what is to come is, is on display here. We get to join the angels in worship of our God. In fact, the text is showing us here we get to join a myriad, a multitude of thousands and thousands of angels, the greatest choir you could ever hear, and it's going to continue forever and ever and ever. Verse 11, then I looked and I heard among the throne of the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels And the elders fell down and worshipped. Friends, Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, and every Sunday is a small glimpse into heaven. As we sing, as we worship, as we ascribe all power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, this is a small taste of heaven as Jesus will appear in heaven as the one who was slain. He is a standing Savior. And he audaciously grabs hold of that scroll because the grave is empty. He is not dead. He is alive. He is risen from the grave and he is Lord. And we will worship him forever and ever. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory And might forever. So let me ask you, where is the Lamb the Lord has provided? Who is worthy to open the scroll? Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, the Lamb who has risen, and the Lamb who is coming again to take us home and to complete what he has started. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that as we get to peer into heaven through this text, that as you used John's eyes, and as he wrote down by your spirit what you would have for us, that we get a, a small taste of the infinite glory of what is to come. Lord, as we, as we think about the first four verses, and we think about that there was no one in heaven or under the earth or in the earth to open the scroll this should cause us, Grace, great weeping. But we know that's not the truth. We know that's not your plan. We know that your plan is perfect and it comes to perfect fulfillment in your son. As he was nailed to the cross, as he truly died, as he bore the wrath for our sin, as he was truly dead and buried but that he rose three days later and he has ascended to your right hand as the lamb who was slain, who was standing. This is everything. We pray that as we walk in the days ahead as your people, that this would just transform our lives altogether, that this would change our outlook, that this would change our purpose, change our focus, that this would grow us in holiness, that we we are living for the risen lamb who was slain. We pray that you would be producing such worship within us and producing holiness as well, that this would be pleasing in your sight and that you would receive all the glory. Apart from the resurrection, we are nothing, God, and we thank you that our God is not dead, but he is alive and reigns forever. And we get to worship you and join the angels in heaven, worshiping you forever and ever. We thank you in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Follow us on social media to stay up to date on current events and information from Redemption Church, Calgary South. And don't forget, you are loved.